The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Central City Citizen, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Wednesday, March 31st, 2021, and I am your host, Professor X. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's The Flash. Please welcome my co-host, Dimitri Singer. What's that, Miss Central City? And Jeffrey Arouz. Hey, Central City. Is this real life, or is this a nightmare? Let's jump into our discussion of Season 7, Episode 5, which was titled Fear Me and aired March 30th, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. When a powerful new villain, Psyche, channels and amplifies everyone's fears in order to wreak havoc on Central City, Barry realizes, with Cecile's help, that he must face his own worst fear in order to beat the new threat. Meanwhile, Joe is surprised when Kristen Kramer from the Governor's Municipal Logistics Commission drops into CCPD for a visit. Iris warns her father to dig deeper on why Kristen is actually there. Caitlin and Frost argue about how to live their lives. Let's check in on the ratings for Season 7, Episode 5. The episode was viewed by 993,000 viewers, its lowest number ever, but it was still steady with a 0.2 in the demo. Okay, so let's start off at the beginning of the episode. Barry is watching video footage from his battle last week because... Apparently you can do that. You can just tap into last week's episode and watch it on your uh, your monitor. Uh, Cisco introduces the newly split Frost and Caitlin to Barry and Iris, who are understandably stunned, just like Cisco was at the end of the last episode. Uh, I thought it played pretty funny because Cisco's acclimated to the news, while Barry and Iris haven't. But let's talk about the reveal and the Frost-Caitlin storyline. Dimitri, uh, you know, you weren't here to talk about it last week, so it looks like Daniel Panabaker will be pulling double duty for the foreseeable future. You like Caitlin. You don't like Frost. How do you feel about this development? I did feel it was great. I've been hoping this would happen for a long time. Now, all that remains is that you kill Killer Frost. Just swoop, swoop, get her out, get her cringeworthy dialogue out of here, get the weird makeup out of here, just clear out, bring us Caitlyn back in her normal form, or give Caitlyn the powers and just not the cringy dialogue. Whatever works, just as long as I don't have to hear, like, bad 90s grunge kid written by a bunch of 40-year-olds dialogue from Killer Frost ever again. I think this is a step in the right direction. And... I just want to bring up how long has it been since we've heard Caitlyn for, like, an extended period of time. I feel like, you know, they're just like, oh, Killer Frost is the one with the powers, and so I have to listen to her talk, which hurts. And, you know, even with Bloodwork, which is a character from Caitlyn's past, and most of the time it was Killer Frost interacting with them, it blows my mind. Um, Jeff, uh, 
turning uh, to you with that. So as the explanation turns out, when Frost was blasted with Eva's mirror gun, it prompted the creation of a separate body because that's a thing. Uh, Caitlin seems eager to get the band back together, but Frost is enjoying her solo work. And later we get a sense of just how deep-seated their differences are. We find out Frost's greatest fear is Caitlin turning her into the police. So, Jeff, what do you think about the overall dynamic between Caitlin and Frost in the episode and how they resulted at the end? Well, two points. Uh, just to counterpoint Dimitri, uh, Killer Frost had one of the best lines in the episode. Oh, he sounds like someone's overcompensating. Fantastic line. And you can hate Frost as much as you want, but that was a good line. Number two, um, I think uh, Frost's number one fear should be Dimitri turning her into the police. <laughs> Let's just be real. Uh, the storyline, I loved the shock and awe of the opening. Uh, just Candace Patton and Grant Gustin played it perfectly, as they should, um, much like uh, Carlos Valdez did in, uh, at the tail end of the previous episode. Their storyline was well done. I felt like, well, let me, let me rephrase that. I thought the acting was well done. You know, Danielle Panabaker actually being able to play off of herself. I thought that was well done. I thought their heart-to-heart rang true. Um, I I thought how we got there was a little clunky because I knew that uh, she was going to sabotage the equipment because that's something Killer Frost... Well, let me stop saying Killer. That's something Frost has done in the past. So that wasn't really surprising. The fact that nobody kind of questioned that she was having qualms about them combining back together, uh, I I thought that was like, you know, you can't really tell that she's having problems with it. Like, we've seen Frost be nervous before. So, like, that was a little too choreographed, and, and it was something that we've seen in the past. But the resolution at the end was really good. Uh, I'm happy to see both of them as their own entities. Um, I don't mind Danielle Panabaker as Frost. Uh, I, I like the energy that she brings with the character, and, and clearly this is going to be a season that's going to be dealing with the ramifications of Frost, which that should be pretty interesting to see as well. But overall, I thought it was a fine storyline, even though some of the notes that we that we've saw in the storyline are things we've seen Frost do in the past. Yeah, I think I agree uh, with you, Jeff, that uh, I like how Daniel Panabaker played it. I like how it resolved. But I do think, you know, that uh, both Caitlin and, and Cisco, you know, and the team in general just sort of had the assumption, you know, that Frost being out was somehow a mistake that had to be undone. You know, they're not really giving Frost agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether they're regarding that because they still think of Frost as being, you know, an alter ego or, a, a you know, part of Caitlin's psyche as opposed to, you know, an individual uh, on her own. Uh, It did feel like that was a little clunky because at no point did anyone ever ask her, hey, what do you want? It was always just the assumption, well, we've got to get you the hell out of here. Uh, It's like, you know, when your crazy uncle comes down from the attic when the family's over, Uh, um, hypothetically speaking. Yeah, it would have been different had they given a reason like, you know, oh, something must be wrong. Maybe we both can't survive separately or something like that. Like, had they given some sort of medical reason why they need to, like, combine, um, maybe that would have it would have been a bit more understandable why they didn't take her into consideration. It was a clunky road to get to the point to where, she, like, she did have that great line of, you know, when I was in the driver's seat, like, I realized, you know, it... it 
life is good. Life is fantastic. You know, I can, I can do stuff. I can experience life on my own. Like she had her moment of, you know, I, I want to be independent. And that was a nice little moment for her as a character, but it was just a weird sort of murky road uh, to go through to get to that point. Yeah. And just to, uh, to reinforce, you know, what, what Dimitri was saying as well, you know, the, uh, uh, the phenomenon of, of canceling Karens has become a thing over the past couple of years, and it's hard to think of a whiter woman than Frost. So, you know, I kind of get it. Uh, back at the lab, interrupted by the physical manifestation of the Speed Force. Nora, who looks just like Barry's mom, drops out of bursts of lightning. She's badly hurt. She remains comatose for most of the episode. Uh, but, Dimitri, how surprised were you that Nora is back? I figured when the old, old Speed Force was destroyed, that meant Nora was gone forever as well. And we certainly had that sense, you know, in the scene where the Speed Force was dying. Uh, it seemed that we would never see Nora again. Were you, how surprised were you when she came back? So, uh, I mean, let's clarify. We're calling her Nora because she, that's Barry's mother's name, right? And yes. the Speed Force looks like Barry's mom. I, for one, was a little sort of, I want to say perplexed, like I was a little bit wondering why we jumped to the conclusion that this is the speed force, you know, supposedly a physics entity come back as Barry's mom in the physical realm and everybody just jumped to that and nobody was like, oh shit, Barry's mom's alive or Barry's mom's back from the dead or what have you. We just saw Harrison Wells who was, you know, murdered suddenly come back to life and now like person who looks exactly like Barry's mom falls out of the sky. Everyone knows what his mom looks like. Only he had seen the speed force in his mom's body weirdly. But everyone's just like, oh yeah, must be the speed force. Like no way Dead Woman came back. I mean it it seems strange to me that like they everyone just jumped straight to that conclusion. And to be honest, I don't know, I'm not a huge fan of the Speed Force as a person. Like, I don't know, I, I feel it's more, like, realistic as, like, sort of a physics entity. When Barry sort of has to have, like, heart-to-hearts with it, like, do you deserve speed or whatever? Like, it just, I don't know, it it feels a little, uh, a little coerced or a little forced to me, um, a little artificial ha-ha, artificial speed force. I don't know. Um, um, you should do stand-up it, comedy. But um, <laughs> um, if this is your first episode with us, I am a stand-up comedian in real life. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like every time we've seen Barry's mom as the speed force, the dialogue's been a little cringy. Um, it, it is a little weird to see this, like, uh, supposedly, like, physical force be, like, his mom. And just, like, his his mom. Like, we only ever see the Speed Force in Jeopardy. Like, the Speed Force is dead or dying or upset, like, a lot. It's never just, like, happy Speed Force. Uh, I don't know. It, it's weird. It's like if, I don't know, like, suddenly Candace Patton falls out of the skies. Oh, yeah, that's gravity. Let me go talk to gravity for a second. Like, it's weird. 
No, I agree. And and also for the rest of the team to, you know, why would they recognize Barry's mom? You know, maybe they've seen a picture every now and then. Uh, I guess we can head candidate off that, you know, after she appears, they cut away to a commercial. And during the commercial, uh, you know, Barry explains to them, hey, I know this looks exactly like my dead mom. Let me show you these pictures. But it's actually a manifestation of the speed force. But how would Barry have known that? You're right. You know, especially given that, you know, just, you know, last episode or a couple of episodes ago, uh, you know, the dead Harrison Wells who died. By the way, exactly the same time as Barry's mom. Hmm, how interesting is that? Yeah, um, uh, showed up. So uh, yeah, you're right. I think yeah, that is uh, that is curious. Um, I, uh, Jeff, I was expecting, given how quickly everyone jumped to that conclusion, I was expecting the episode to end with them being like, "Hey, Speed Force." She's like, "No, Barry, I'm your mom." Like that was honestly how I was expecting the the episode to go, but. Uh, Looks like we're stuck with this before. Yeah, and you know what? That might have been more interesting from a storytelling point of view, but because, as we're going to talk about, there's this notion of the other forces um, that Jeff mentioned last week that, you know, I was so we were kind of expecting that. Um, so, yeah, I, I never even jumped to the idea that what if it was Barry's mom? That would be really interesting. Um, uh, but, Jeff, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, uh, the, the fundamental forces, uh, we get our first glimpse of uh, the impact of this week's meta when Cecile's working from home and has a waking nightmare. It's pretty creepy, uh, but she's snapped out of it by Joe. Uh, what do you think about introducing the meta's power sort of by proxy rather than what usually happens, which is we see the meta in action wreaking havoc on people? In this case, it was done at a remove. You know what? It was interesting. It was a, a different way to sh- sort of show what we typically see on the show. I liked it. I mean, it wasn't scary. I was kind of hoping that we were going to get like a really good creepy episode. It was, maybe it was, well, let me rephrase. I was hoping we were going to get like a more scary episode, but we got like creepy, but like light creepy, uh, more so like unsettling than anything else. Um, they tried really hard to make things creepy. I think the only time that things got really, really creepy was a little bit later on, which I won't mention it yet, but it's something that Barry sees, and I was like, oh, that's a little unsettling. Um, but this one, it was just okay. Uh, I, I get what they were going for, and I guess it worked to sort of uh, give us a preview of what's to come. I thought Danielle... Uh, uh, Nicolette was fantastic. I thought the uh, brief uh, taste of what was to come with this meta was hella interesting. And uh, I thought the setup was pretty good. I, I was hella intrigued to see what they were going to do with this. So, um, you know, based off of also the promo, we got little glimpses of like what was to come. And uh, yeah, I was uh, at least satiated for the moment uh, uh, in regards to this meta and the powers. Uh, eventually, the baddie, who's nicknamed Psych, shows up in person and we get a little Batwoman reference. Uh, for those of you who watch Batwoman and know that ACAB, all crows are bastards, uh, he's psyching out a couple of the crows. Um, so, Dimitri, how'd you like the introduction of Psyche in person? Uh, particularly Barry's sort of cocky, confident, you know, he slaps the meta cuffs on him and just assumes that's going to be the end of it. I mean, uh, the moment he slapped the cuffs on, I was like, that's not going to go good. But that's because we, we know the pacing of this show at this point, right? I, um... Honestly, I I feel like this is an intro that's largely relying on um, people who know the comic books. I tweet when uh, Cisco named uh, the villain Psyche, uh, I tweeted, oh, Cisco must be tired today. 
and people reacted like, oh, no, like, this is a known, like, villain, like, people know Psyche. Um, so I feel it's kind of like Gypsy, where I feel like her intro was a little rushed, but I think comic book fans were like, oh, we recognize Gypsy. So, um, honestly, like, it, um, you know, I, I think this is a very imposing villain, and it is great to see a villain that Barry can't, like, speed punch or anything. Um, and honestly, it looks like, you know, Barry's attack seemed to make this villain stronger or the villain is able to absorb the energy. I think it's, it's a great twist and it's similar to what we're seeing on the flip side with, uh, Black Lightning, right? For those of you who watch both shows, uh, you know, the, the antagonist in Black Lightning suddenly has a suit that protects him from Black Lightning's powers. These are two superheroes who essentially have had their superpowers rendered useless against the person they're up against. And I think hopefully this is like, this means they're going to do something different with this villain and not like the usual, oh, Barry's powers don't work. Well, Barry will just talk to them and they'll stop being evil. Um, Or, you know, Barry's powers don't work, but conveniently, he has a teammate whose powers work. Like, I do think, hopefully, we're going to see the team pushed in a new way, especially since we saw Killer Frost's powers also didn't work. And, you know, they're going to have to come up with a strategy that breaks from some of the, the pattern and the pacing of previous seasons. Can I also just say that the fact that they kept on saying nightmare, 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 nightmares, like I legit, as a non-comic book reader, I thought they were going to call him nightmare. But then when Cisco was like psych, and then he gave like that sentence, that compound sentence as to why he's going to call him psych, I was like, that was just some exposition mess that probably they needed to put in because psych is the actual character's name from the comics. One thing I liked about the introduction of psych, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I really actively disliked the mask. I thought, you know, the introduction of him, the way they shot it with that sort of horror style of, you know, he flickers around, you know, like a horror figure or a figure from a, a horror movie, uh, you know, the uh, the killer who suddenly appears, you know, between frames, uh, I thought was very effective. And then it panned up to that really ridiculous looking mask. It sort of, uh, you know, uh, took away the uh, the gravitas of the villain for me anyway. Um, but Psych locks Barry into a nightmare in which he's attacked by Zoom. Uh, Barry has the confidence, this is just a dream, you can't hurt me in my dream, uh, to which Zoom says, oh, we'll see about that, uh, and sends Barry flying, and then Barry is stabbed through the chest by Savitar. Uh, Jeff, what did you think about the first nightmare scene? Well, wasn't it Reverse Flash and not Zoom? Oh, I can't tell the difference. How can okay. I mean, I guess he was vibrating his head, but Zoom, both yeah. Zoom and Reverse Flash do that sometimes. So all white, white men look alike? Professor? Uh, all, all yellow. No, I, oh my God, that almost got me in tremendous. I know, right? Um, <laughs> I just want to clarify when I'm talking about the nightmare scene, I am not talking about the nightmare scene from Zack Snyder's Justice League. We are not going to discuss that here. What did you think about the first uh, psych attack, shall we say, uh, in this episode? Well, that was like a whole 40-minute scene at the end of the damn movie, if we're talking about that. Um, okay, so the first one was interesting, because we got to see sort of like the greatest hits of baddies, um, yeah, uh, some people online were actually wondering, they're like, why didn't we see, see Zoom? I was like, it was fine with what we saw. Um, so, uh, The Greatest Hits of Baddies uh, was kind of cool. I liked that Barry was confident. I was like, okay, this is a 
this is fake. Like, this isn't real. Like, I'm not going to get hurt. And then Savitar appears out of nowhere and impales him. Um, yeah, and then it turned out to be a very real injury. Uh, we got the answer to the question that we had. Uh, you know, uh, well, it, it's also a question from, like, um, Friday the not Friday the 13th, sorry, A Nightmare on Elm Street, because we got a Freddy Krueger reference in the episode. Um, you know, if you get hurt in the dream or if you die in the dream, you're dead in real life. So I guess if you get hurt in the uh, psych nightmare, you get hurt in real life. And uh, Barry was hurt big time. It was cool, though. Uh, it was gnarly. Yeah, I, and it was, you know, a, a, a good way to visually show the idea that if you're injured in your dream, you're injured you know, in real life, although I did find, you know, this is, I don't know if this is a continuity thing or whatever, but in that opening scene with Cecile, she had the blood in her palms from her bleeding ears, but then when Joe woke her up out of it, she was fine. So that seemed a little inconsistent, you know, from the, you know, uh, anything done to you in your dream is there in the reality. Didn't seem to hold for, uh, for Cecile's experience, but, mm-hmm. um, oh, well, shrug. Uh, Barry does heal, and the team goes off to face Psych again, this time armed with useless neural dampers. We get a second nightmare for Barry, this time seeing all his loved ones dead because he failed them. And we get the Frost reveal about her fear of Caitlin turning on her. But we never see Cisco's fear, um, which I, I don't know. Was that done for time or, uh, you know, he dismisses it in the next scene, basically saying it was about Camilla. The details aren't important. But then he pushes Barry for details on his nightmare, insisting that any detail might be important. Uh, so, Dimitri, what do you think about the two nightmares we did see? And do you think there's something significant that Cisco isn't saying? My mind was going to the exact same place that yours went to. Um, the so y'all are gonna hate me for this. I might get kicked off the pod. And to be clear, I really, really like Camilla. I think the actress and the character is fantastic. Oh Lord, but you're killing off Camilla. Know, I have shipped Keiko from season one, and a part of me, there was a small glimmer. Of, of uncertainty in my heart where I was like, did he see Caitlyn die and not Camilla die? Um, just a brief moment, just a brief doubt. I'm just mentioning it. You know, I wasn't even going to say nothing, but the professor asked, so I'm just putting that out there. But I do think there was something, uh, oh my God. something weird about the uh, fact that Cisco did not reveal his nightmare, and we did not see it. Um, but at the same time, it, it's hard to say because I do feel sometimes the pacing of this show is so off that it it doesn't really like. Um, it's hard to see like what's what's just choppy writing versus what's like deliberately left out. Um, so I, I think, you know, definitely like in some of the early seasons and the writing has admittedly gotten better the last two seasons. Um, you know, I would have been like, they omitted that that's definitely going to come back to haunt us. But now I'm just like, or they just didn't have time and nobody cares. You know, um, he saw Camilla die, nothing surprising, but if, Nobody cares about his. I mean, Barry's was also pretty predictable, right? Like the, everyone he loves is, you know, dead on the floor. If if you know Cisco's was admitted because it's boring, standard, exactly what you would expect, then why did Barry's need to be in there? You could have used that time for something else. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, yeah, it it honestly is hard to say. Um, but I my mind did at least wander to the same place as the professors where I'm like, oh, is Cisco telling the truth? I think in Cisco's nightmare, if we'd seen it, it would have been he was dating Caitlin. And he no. realized it was so wrong that when he came out of it, he just couldn't even think about it anymore. No. And I think if you listen carefully, you can hear him going, Keiko, no, Keiko, no, when he's snapping out of it. No, his real nightmare, you were close, Professor, it was that he was married to Caitlin, and he hated it because he knew it was wrong because she's like his sister. Uh, speaking of Caitlin, Frost and Caitlin have a heart-to-heart about their fears, and they end up agreeing to live as separate people and roommates. Yay! But later, we find out the metahuman-hating Kristen Kramer has been sent to Central City to arrest Frost. Uh, Jeff, uh, what do you think about this resolution between Frost and Caitlin, and where do you see this plotline going? The resolution was lovely. I enjoyed that. I'm very happy that they're moving in together. They are sisters. Yes, I, I was very happy. Now, the lady. Okay, we knew the lady was trouble. Like, we knew she was trouble when she walked in. Taylor Swift. As the professor likes to quote, because he's a Swifty. But we, you know, we were teased this storyline at the end of last episode. And it was, you know, they, they mentioned it. And, you know, oh, you got a call from so-and-so. And, like, they wouldn't have said, oh, you got a call from so-and-so if it wasn't important. And so the payoff was this episode. And the payoff was big. Like, uh, you know, our girl... Iris West Allen had a hunch. She followed it. She's an investigative journalist. She might not have the Pulitzer yet, but she she will. And uh, she did a little digging. She got some information, which allowed Joe to do, you know, the tough talk. And then when she spilled the details, I was like, wow. Like, they're going to really follow up with everything that Dimitri bitches about every single time we talk about Frost. It's that she is a criminal. And so it looks like... Let's review what Dimitri bitches about for a second. It's that this woman actively tried to kill the Flash and engaged in human trafficking. You know, minor, minor infractions. Did she really try to kill the Flash? She kissed him and froze his lungs. Oh, wow, you remember all that. Okay, so... Hate is a powerful motivator. I know, right? So, you know, she's, she's trying to hold, it looks like she's going to try to hold Frost accountable. The problem is, is, is that Frost is reformed. And I know that she's done some bad stuff. Dimitri has, you know, a post-it notes, you know, on, you know, his wall of uh, probably Candace Patton memorabilia, you know, to remind him of everything Killer Frost has done when she was Killer Frost. But she has changed. She's, she's evolved. She's redeemed herself. It's interesting that they are choosing now to do this. To be quite honest, I'm, I'm glad that they're doing it now. Because before, the problem would have been is that, you know, she would have been sharing the body with Caitlyn. And so that means maybe Caitlyn would have gone to jail. And she would have been in, you know, The Flash, colon, Orange is the New Black. Um, now that she's a separate character, you know, I, I guess it does kind of make sense that she would be held accountable for the stuff. Um, I, like, I don't know where this storyline is going to go. I, I am worried for Frost because I know she's changed. The Argus people know she's changed, as she said in the previous episode. 
Yeah, I, I am kind of worried for our girl. Uh, I know Dimitri's happy, and we'll probably uh, throw a, like a ticker tape parade when she gets arrested. But um, yeah, I'm worried. Uh, Psych ramps things up by attacking the entire city, and Barry has the idea of using Cecile to counter his abilities. Cecile argues she's not nearly powerful enough to do that, so Barry straps her into the thinker's murder chair. She taps into Barry's courage and manages to defeat Psyche. Let's talk about Cecile. Dimitri, we've given Cecile a fair bit of love. She's been my pick, uh, my MVP for the past two weeks. Uh, is that perhaps a preview of what's to come? Uh, what did you think about Cecile's arc in the episode and the way that Danielle Nicolette played it? I, here's the thing. I like Daniel Nicolette. I like Cecile. I just don't find Cecile a believable criminal prosecutor. That is supposedly how she cut wow. her teeth. And that is how, to, to a large degree, she, uh, she was introduced. She was a, a very confident woman who sort of went after what she wanted in that she wanted Papa Joe. Um, you know, pretty, pretty straight up. And as she's, as her role has grown on this show, she's become like the jumpiest, most, wait, what, what? I can't do that. What character? And honestly, that's something you expect from like season one Barry, that he's like, wait, what? I, I can't wait. What? I'm not going to be a hero. What? But this is a woman who supposedly, you know, like was law enforcement her whole life. So um, while I do understand her concern, and I do think we kind of glossed over the potential negative ramifications of the the thinker's chair, um, and I do appreciate her at least being like, wasn't that like a genocide chair? I I just don't find this character believable. Like, I almost want them to rewrite her backstory, like make her like. I don't know, a dentist or something. Like, that would be very believable. But, like, her her entire backstory just doesn't make sense given how they're writing her character now. And I... That's something that always, like, weirds me out with the, with the Cecile episode. You know, much as I'm loving, as I, you know, I, I always love Daniel Nicolette, and much as I'm loving this version of Cecile, I have to agree, you're right, it doesn't fit with her established character. She was introduced as, did I just say introduced it? Yeah, uh, she was introduced that. as a hard-as-nails prosecutor. She was like this terrifying, uh, you know, assistant DA, uh, you know, Cecile. Um, and, and yeah, I agree, you know, and it's something they could deal with, like maybe she's picking up, you know, it, it you know, it wouldn't take much for them to say, you know, these powers are just weirding me out. I, I don't feel the same ever since I've got them or, or I'm picking up stuff from other people and it's it's got me off my game. But I think you're right. It, it does seem it's enjoyable. And she's, you know, a, a great she's become such a vital part of the team. But I, I agree. If you think about where she came from, it doesn't seem a consistent character, uh, you know, over the seasons that we've had her. Um, uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts on that? You know what? <sighs> When Dimitri started talking, you know, I immediately go to, I'm going to disagree with Dimitri, because, you know, that's how it is. Right, Professor? You can co-sign well, with that. Once you, once you hear Kate Co., you're just, you know, zoning out for the next 45 minutes. Exactly. But, I, I, you know what? Dimitri actually makes a really good point. And just as he was explaining it, because he did do it so eloquently, 
I started thinking back to the original D.A. Cecile Horton. And there is something about what they've done to the character that doesn't sit well with me when I think back to, like, the original badass D.A. that Cecile was. And maybe it's because they, they want to use her a little bit for, like, the comedy type of stuff. But... I. And, and she does well with comedic stuff, so let me just say that. Uh, Danielle Nicolette has done with the comedic stuff. The professor felt a, a certain amorous way when when he saw her be very serious. So, like, she, she has a range, is what I'm saying. Not serious, evil. Oh, evil, yes. It was my turn on. Yes, evil Cecile. So, the, you know, she does have range, is what I'm trying to say. But sort of like the... Um, I don't even know what the right word is. Is it flighty? Is it um, uh, nervousy? Like nervous, almost like you know, just like the nervous tick that she has, doesn't really sit well with the character that we were introduced to. And maybe if they had sort of said, you know, if, if Cecile sort of like was confiding in Joe, you know, ever since, as you said, Professor, ever since I've gotten these powers as they're increasing, because they have been pretty consistent in saying that her powers are growing and she's doing new things and all that kind of stuff. If she would, if she would say something to the gist of, you know, I'm just, I'm feeling all of this, um, nervous energy around me or, or I'm nervous because they're growing and I don't know how they're expanding and that kind of thing. I think that would be enough to explain why she's being the way she is but the lack of confidence that she has within herself i think we need just a little bit of exposition even if it's just i'm so nervous because i don't understand these powers like that would have been enough for me but they don't do that and so her being always nervous about these powers and i don't know if i could do this this or the other and she has to get sort of like talked up into just sitting in a chair um was a bit much even though like you professor I enjoyed Danielle Nicolette this episode. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you could even, you know, just by, you know, uh, just a line that, you know, ever since I had a kid, uh, you know, I, I've changed. I used to be this tough, hard as nails. You know, now I see things differently. Or or now I'm worried about the future because I'm worried about being there for my child or something like that. I think Perfect. that could come yeah. with the justification. But I agree, you know, like, you, know, you can see how some characters, they've changed their characterizations over time for the better. Uh, you know, Iris, season one was nowhere near the Iris that, you know, she became. And, uh, you know, that, that's been a, a positive move. But I, I have to agree with uh, Dimitri that I do think this has been, you know, um, a retrograde step for, uh, for Cecile. And I kind of hope they give us some explanation or maybe they're just assuming that, you know, only, you know, insanely obsessive fans who, you know, do podcasts. How weird would that be? Yeah. Uh, are the sort of people that remember stuff from three or four years ago. Uh, anyway, everything seems fine at the end of the episode, except that Fuerza and Psyche are still at large. Then Barry seems to go haywire, He's shooting lightning, throwing himself into a cryo chamber so he can heal. And exactly that moment, Speed Force Nora awakens, saying she was also attacked by Psyche and Fuerza, and that they are, shout out to Jeff for your prediction, manifestations of forces similar to the Speed Force. So, Jeff, this was your prediction. What did you think of the reveal, and where do we go next? The reveal was cool. Uh, you know, if, if we're going to bring Speed Force Nora into the mix so she can explain that to our peoples, I'm cool with it, I guess. Uh, I didn't really chime in when y'all were talking about, uh, you know, Speed Force being Nora, and now she's a person, and she's actually given lines like, well, you know, I am a person now, so I don't really know this is how things are going to feel. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it was a little, it was a little, it was much. Um, but I, I did enjoy that the theory was correct. Um, we got now three different forces out there. There's numero cuatro. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, I, I am wondering why they are attacking the speed force. Is this a whole, you know, only one force can survive type of thing? Um, I, I don't know if it's that because she got like her ass beat by the strength force and she got her ass beat by the, I guess that's the sage force. Um, the still force is out there. Maybe, you know, it's just taking their lazy ass time to kick her ass. Um, they can always call up Dreamer from Supergirl. Uh, it's an inside joke only the professor gets. And he's laughing in his head because he's too mature to actually laugh at that on a different podcast. Um, yeah, I, like, I, I feel like we're going to have to see another one. I just, yeah, I feel bad for poor Speed Force Nora because she got her ass handed to herself. And maybe she should jump in that cryer thing for a moment because she needs her strength up too. Uh, Dimitri, do you have any predictions for where we go next? I I do believe it's it's going to be something similar to like how uh, season three was about saving Iris. Like I do think this is going to be a pivotal thing in this season. Like we have to save the Speed Force. Um, I you know having having gotten a taste of. Uh, you know, interesting villains again with uh, with uh, blood work and to some degree with Eva. I I really hope that these forces that are attacking the Speed Force get more interesting than this like ponytail Hulk and guy in purple mask. Like I really hope there's some like character development. Some you know, I mean. We're spoiled from first season. I was just rewatching season one, and like Thawne is just such a phenomenal villain, such an interesting character. And you know, lately, you know, um, I mean, nothing will ever be worse than Cicada, but um, you know, we we just haven't had villains of the same caliber. And I really want um, you know us to sudden you know continue the the good work that was done with blood work and Eva where, you know, we have a villain that's a complex being and sort of, you know, see where that takes us. I think that's the most interesting direction for this to go. Um, so I really hope we're not just watching like a lot of cheap CGI fights the whole season. I hope that's not what it is. Yeah, it's a truism uh, in the Arrowverse shows that a season can only be as good as the uh, as the big bad, as the villain that they're facing. Um, my feeling is that, uh, you know, in the same way that Nora is a manifestation of the Speed Force, uh, you know, Psych and, uh, and Fuerza uh, are manifestations of the other forces. So unlike Barry, Barry gets his powers by tapping into the Speed Force and using them. Uh, the other two are actual physical manifestations of the Force. And my theory as to why they're attacking Barry or being drawn to Barry is because he called them into being. It was the Speed Force 
his creation of the artificial speed force that led to their being created. And as we've seen, both the times when Barry has, you know, attacked them, you know, using his lightning powers, they've simply absorbed that. So uh, I think they're probably going after him, trying to to feed uh, and get stronger. Um, uh, and you know that might set up an interesting thing, but I, I agree with uh, with Dimitri though. It's it, it is problematic in that you know instead of dealing with subtle, interesting, nuanced villains, we're dealing with CG slugfests. Uh, you know, uh, from the uh, the the bargain basement She Hulk of Fuerza to uh, the the strange mask wearing of Psyche. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it could be really interesting. That was you know it's it's a fairly recent. Uh, you know, uh, storyline from the comics, so it's not you know part of you know long established Flash canon, uh, but it is an, a, an interesting thing to take on. And maybe you know the manifestation of the Still Force will be on Barry's side, so it will be you know two against two rather than three against one. Um, otherwise, yeah, I, I really don't know uh, how it's going to play out, but you know, it's it, it is intriguing to take a look at. Uh, before we get to the MVP section, were there any little beats or Easter eggs anyone wanted to bring up? Uh, I wanted to go first. Uh, there was, you know, I mentioned that there was the shout out to Batwoman in the term of having the crows there. There was also a Martian Manhunter reference. So yes. for those of us who've been complaining that the shows don't seem to be as interlinked as they were, uh, the flash gave us, uh, you know, two connections in this episode. So kudos to that. Yes. Well, I think the only show we've been complaining about is Superman and Lois not being connected to everyone else. Everyone else seems to be doing a good job connecting to the other shows. Superman and Lois is kind of like its own thing, for right now, at least. Can I just say, um, just to rub it in, because we did talk about it at, at length in the previous podcast, Candace Patton's hair, fantastic. I still like the longer hair better, but as is established canon on the show, Candace Patton looks great always, uh, and all three of us will fight to the death anyone who says otherwise. Uh, Cisco had a great line about uh, you know calling uh, you know Fuerza Fuerza because quote She Hulk was already taken, indicating that Marvel comics do exist in this universe. Uh, and Dimitri, do you have any Easter eggs? I had one last one that I wanted to mention. Now, really, in the in the realm of Easter eggs, I wasn't sure if you guys thought um, the the Martian Manhunter reference was connected to. I don't know if you guys watched the Snyder Cut. I just finished it, but um, hopefully, this isn't a huge spoiler. Uh, Martian Manhunter has a brief cameo there. So, um, did you guys think those were sort of timed to be in line with each other, or is that just like you know coincidence? Well, see, because there's this little show called Supergirl, and one of the co-stars of Supergirl is the Martian Manhunter, and these are all takes place on the same Earth. I, I feel you, but they've never mentioned him on the Flash before. I feel like they He's have been around point, for a while, maybe on Supergirl. I, I actually, you know, this is going to be another one of those uh, you know, where I find myself reluctantly lurching into defense of Dimitri, which is that, okay, so yes, and there is the Martian Manhunter, and it did happen the week of the Snyder Cup being released, and that could just be coincidence, but what just happened on Supergirl this week, the mentioning of the anti-life equation, which was also part of coincidence, one has to wonder, or a sinister conspiracy. Conspiracy. I mean, yeah, coincidence, because, uh, like, the Supergirl finale was recorded last year, so let's, and there was no such thing as a Snyder Cut last year, at least coming out. 
Yeah. Um, finally, just one. It, it's not really an Easter egg, but I did like the uh, the the running gag about the the TV show This Is Us, uh, which I thought was uh, was, was uh, kind of uh, acute. Uh, you know, yeah. The, uh, the way it, they just kept going back. I think there were at least three This Is Us jokes. Yeah. Uh, scattered throughout. The payoff was good because the payoff yeah. was This Is Us. It, yeah, it was appropriate. It was fun. Okay, time for the MVP section. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. Dimitri, you weren't here last week, so Jeff, you're going to go to first. Thank you. You're going to dislike me. Um, but this is us, and they do always cry on that. I've never seen the show, but they're always crying. Um, I'm giving it to Danielle Nicolette, and I apologize, Professor, because I'm sure she was on your list. She might have even been number one, but I, I loved her. And I know that Dimitri bitched and complained a hundred percent about her um but i loved danielle nicolette in the episode i thought she handled the material well i loved um, her scared face i loved her being a little nervous about sitting in the chair and like the comedy of that because she was really worried she was gonna go full-on villain um i loved how badass boss she was when she tapped into her powers and she was saving everybody from their nightmares um yeah i I really enjoyed danielle nicolette and i know that uh we gave her a little bit of flack maybe not her per se but the writing for the character Uh, maybe dimitri was giving her flack i don't know uh we'll have to go back and analyze uh, exactly what he said but uh, i enjoyed her so i'm giving it to uh D.A. Cecile Horton, uh, master of the thinker's domain. Once again, I find myself uncomfortably lurching to the defense of Dimitri. Dimitri never said anything negative about Daniel Nicolette. He was talking about the changing characterization of Cecile over the seasons. I know, I'm and just starting the said, pot. I love Danielle Nicolette. Let, let me just clarify that right in the book. Oh, and, and your feelings on evil Danielle Nicolette as opposed to regular Danielle Nicolette? I mean, she is drop-dead gorgeous. Um, I I got to say, I didn't feel a change um, in, uh, in, in Danielle Nicolette's uh, attractiveness level um, with, like, evil Cecile, but Danielle Nicolette, like, um, I mean, from the moment Cecile was introduced to the show, I was like, yes, Papa Joe, get it, get it. So, um, yeah, that's all I'll say on that. May so I just Dimitri, say, was, oh. Oh, well, no, I was just going to say, I, this, and this is no insult to uh, people of short stature, but she looks so petite in that chair. I was like, oh, my god. Well, gosh. she is a tiny person. When you see her standing next to Joe, you realize, you know, and she, you know, she, she plays taller. It's a bit like um, uh, over on Supergirl, uh, you know, uh, the actress who plays Lena is actually very, very short. But, you know, they play her tall and they put her in heels and stuff like yeah. that. There are times when you'll see her in a shot and you realize, oh, she is really a tiny person. Yeah, I uh, didn't comment on the heels over on Supergirl, but she was wearing, she was rocking some gigantic heels. I was like, all right, Lena. Moving on to uh, Dimitri's choice for MVP. Dimitri, who is your MVP this week? Is it Lena Luther? This is a, is a tough one because obviously I... I who have uh, have uh, have been conflicted this uh, well I guess not me too but I, I I'm genuinely conflicted this episode that I do think it was a good episode but I um 
you know what? I'm going to go totally left field. I'm going to totally left field. I am going to give it to Psych. I just, Psych isn't even really in this episode, right? But the, this is a new villain. And I did think villains were starting to get a little formulaic, both in terms of, uh, you know, how much screen time they get, how they interact with the Flash, um, you know, uh, when they're going to get beat, how you know, like, things are about to come to a head. Um, You know, and I just think Psych is an interesting... uh, Oh, wow. Sorry, I butchered that. Fuerza. I think Fuerza is an interesting... Person who who beat the crap out of Barry. Not the Nightmare. <laughs> Fuerza is the one who beat the crap out of Barry, right? Yes, Barry's yes. Like the lightning puncher. Yeah, Fuer- sorry, sorry, sorry. John has so dropped down to the floor. Fuerza uh, is my MVP. I do think Fuerza is just such an interesting new villain in that Barry is powerless against her. Killer Frost is powerless against her. Um... You know, there, there's something there's something new here. I don't think we've seen Barry be sort of physically, like, completely owned since, like, season one when he had to confront his high school bully. This is an interesting character in that I get the sense that this won't be a villain they can quickly strategize against. And there's a hint that you know, this villain is, their powers operate on a level different from the Flashes, different from metahumans. This is not a meta of the week or even a big bad meta. This is something else entirely. And I'm excited to see, you know, where she goes. I do hope she talks. You know, I do hope this isn't just like a CGI thing. But um, I'm excited to see how this character pushes the team to break the formula of, you know, what the Flash, I feel, has gotten into in terms of a rut, in terms of, okay, this is when the the big bad's going to win. This is when they're going to have a minor victory. This is when things are really going to come to a head, and this is when they're going to win. I really hope we see a change of pace with this sort of change of threat. Professor, do you now regret every time you defended Dimitri in this episode because he gave Fuerza MVP? I am at a loss here because <laughs> Fuerza only appeared in this episode referred to by a, a couple of characters. And when Barry was watching the footage, it feels to me like Dimitri, feeling sorry that he missed last week's episode, is trying to slip in an MVP pick. Uh, but you know what? I, I'm appealing this to the judges that be. It turns out it's my show. I get to decide what goes. And so you know what, Dimitri? I'll allow it. But watch yourself, counselor. Uh, as for me, I'm choosing uh, Cisco. Uh, Cisco, uh, again, I think there is uh, some mystery coming as to what he did see in his nightmare that, uh, you know, is playing that up. But just, you know, uh, you know, uh, Carlos Valdez played it really, really well. You know, he was he was you know, he was the light. He was funny. And let's not forget when uh, Barry was dealing with uh, with uh, with the, the nightmare where he, he felt he'd lost everything. He would failed the city and everything like that. It was Cisco reaching out to him. It was Cisco 
talking to him through the comms, uh, who talked him through it and, and got him through. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, in, in a very subtle, low-key way, and with all those This Is Us references, uh, those, two char- those characters are too beautiful for this world. Um, I agree that uh, Cisco is also too beautiful for this world, but I hope nothing bad happens to him, and he is my MVP. There you go. I believe so, in Bearco. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 lightning bolts? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Flash Museum. Uh, Dimitri, after that curveball you just threw us, I'm hesitant to go to you for a rating. Um, you know, I'm giving it a rating of E, an irrational number. Uh, how would you rate the episode? Definitely pi. No, um, I am giving this a 9. I... And cautiously optimistic. This episode was engaging. I was intrigued. They're starting to break their formula. And even though I did not like Speed Force, Nora, um, whatever is going on there, I I do think they're, they're starting to break away from, you know, the first few episodes of a new season have almost always been self-contained there's a meta of the week we've talked about that on that on this show and you know this isn't a self-contained episode what what happened here to some degree is going to continue um we see that you know psych and fuerza were both you know attackers of the speed force and they're not you know currently conveniently locked in star lab so i'm optimistic i think the flash is finally starting to do different things and i'm i'm really excited to see what they come up with um in terms of how they kill killer frost and and the rest of the season (laughs) and just quietly slipped in that how they kill killer frost um uh for the record i would have accepted uh, a rating of pie as long as you don't eat it with a spoon and that is of course a running gag from a completely different podcast jeff how would you rate the episode i do remember that and um he was horrified i'm gonna give it an eight i what after i watched the episode i was like this is an eight and uh you know sometimes i can be swayed by the conversation but i feel pretty strong with my eight i mean it was it was a fine episode um i thought they introduced some interesting elements um yeah like i, I just thought it was a fine episode I, i'm much more intrigued by where we're going to go with this, especially how the episode ended, because now we have kind of, you know, we had like a puzzle piece in the previous episode. We got another puzzle piece in this episode. And by the end of the episode, we've kind of put the puzzle together. We, we or at least, you know, our, our people now have a greater understanding of, of what's happening. And I'm much more curious about like the conversation now of like, okay, so we know this, where do we go from here? Um, yeah, so I'm going to give it a solid eight. Not a bad episode, but, uh, I've seen better episodes. I will split the difference. I will mediate between the two extremes. Uh, as I've done, let's face it, this entire podcast between the insanity on both sides, the, the anger, the, the vituperation, the, the, the harsh words, uh, spread between you two. It's been shocking for the listeners and I will give it an 8.5. Join us next time for a brand new installment of The Central City Citizen. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, 
suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Central City Citizen and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners good night, starting with Dimitri. Good night, Central City. And Jeff. Have a good night, Central City, and especially you, the MVP we never knew we needed, Fuerza. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of The Central City Citizen every Thursday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Papi Chulo Radio Archives. Good night. <laughs>